open up our hearts to You, Lord. We acknowledge that You're in this room, that Your presence is here. We have sensed that as we've worshipped. Lord, You told us to draw near to You and that You would draw near unto us. And now, Lord, as You are in the midst of Your body, we surrender ourselves to You, Lord. Our minds and our wills, our hearts. Lord, we just pray that You'd show to each one of us who have gathered here this morning that ability that You have given us in conquering the old nature. Lord, I just really feel this is an important, important place in the Scripture, an important teaching. Lord, help us to appropriate, to live the principles that are here. We ask in Jesus' name. Amen. I say then, walk in the Spirit, and you shall not fulfill the lust of the flesh. For the flesh lusts against the Spirit, and the Spirit against the flesh. And these are contrary to one another, so that you do not do the things that you wish. But if you are led by the Spirit, you are not under the law. Now the works of the flesh are evident, which are adultery, fornication, uncleanness, licentiousness, idolatry, sorcery, hatred, contentions, jealousies, outbursts of wrath, selfish ambitions, dissensions, heresies, envy, murders, drunkenness, revelries, and the like, of which I tell you beforehand, just as I also told you in times past, that those who practice such things will not inherit the kingdom of God. But the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, long-suffering, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. Against such there is no law. And those who are Christ's have crucified the flesh with its passions and desires. If we live in the Spirit, let us also walk in the Spirit. Let us not become conceited, provoking one another, envying one another. In 1941, President Roosevelt, of course this is before my time, spoke to Congress of the United States and he shared with them his vision of what he wanted to see the world like after the war. And he named four freedoms that every human being should enjoy. Freedom of choice, freedom of worship, freedom from want, and freedom from fear. Now since 1941, by and large, those goals have been achieved. But there is one freedom that the world is still needing, and that is freedom from the tyranny of the old sinful nature. Now, as Christians, you know as well as I do what kind of a grip the old nature, the old man can have on us. How it comes back to haunt us. And we need freedom from the old nature. Now, in this epistle, Paul is writing against a group of people we talked about in the last few weeks called Judaizers. These were people who sought to slap rules and regulations on the Christians. You had to do this. You must do this. You must do that. And slap a legalistic system of rules and regulations on the Christians who lived at Galatia. 
The problem with those rules and regulations is that rules can change the outside of a person, but never the inside, necessarily. You can look good on the outside, but inside you can be the same. You can keep the rules outwardly, but inside your heart has never changed. That's the problem with legalism. And Paul takes a whole letter to write about this. He's saying you guys can put all sorts of do's and don'ts upon people. And they can keep all those don'ts. Thou shalt not. But inside they may have never changed. It's like the father who walked into the room and saw his son and he was angry at his son. He said, son, sit down. You've heard it before. Son said, no. He said, son, sit down. No. father said, okay. Started taking off his belt. Walked toward the kid. The kid sat down. And the little kid looked up and said, I might be sitting down on the outside, but I'm standing up in the inside. See, his heart never changed. He's keeping the rules. And you can change people's outward activity, but what about the, the inside of a person? Take a pig, for instance. You can bathe a pig... And you can put perfume or cologne on a pig. You can even put it in designer jeans, if you'd like. But it's still a pig, isn't it? A pig is always a pig. I don't think you'd take a pig and put it at your dinner table just because he had nice clothes on. The inner nature of that animal hasn't changed. The laws may govern an outside of a person, but the inside may remain the same. We need a power inside of us, working, changing us from within. That power is the Holy Spirit of God, as Paul says in these verses, who has the ability to give us the tools to change and to conquer the old nature. Becoming a Christian is relatively easy. God has made it easy for us. God has made living the Christian life. He's given us all the tools. But to become a Christian, to come by faith, is easy. But to live day in and day out a commitment to Christ is not, it's more than just raising a hand and taking a Bible in the prayer room. Living the Christian life is totally different. Now we're introduced in verse 16 and 17 to a conflict. He says, walk in the spirit and you will not fulfill the lust of the flesh. For the flesh lusts against the spirit and the spirit against the flesh. These are contrary to one another so that you do not do the things that you wish. When you and I became Christians, a whole bunch of things happened. Okay? Whether you felt them or not, they happened. And whether you felt them or not is really not that important. But they did occur. First of all, you changed relationships between you and God. All of a sudden, He's your Father. You have an intimate father-son relationship immediately when you accept Christ. You are bound to heaven. You have eternal life and life with God hereafter. You also change your relationship to the church, the body of Christ. You become a part of the body of Christ at large. Whether that excites you or not, you're a part of us. The same body. Also, You've gained a few enemies. The devil, the flesh, and the world. See, the devil before was your boss. He was paying your paycheck. The wages of sin is death. You quit before payday. And that bummed him out. 
Now he's your enemy. And he uses the world, the world mold, and your flesh to tear you down. Now today we're speaking in particular of this one enemy called our flesh. Because he says, the flesh lusts, verse 17, against the spirit and the spirit against the flesh. When we speak about the flesh, we're not speaking about your epidermis. Okay, We're not speaking about this layer of skin all over your body. The flesh is a biblical term that often speaks about our old nature, our old cravings, the leftovers from the world. Those uh, instincts, those desires, those tendencies that we have to do evil. The flesh, that fleshly nature, wars against the spirit. The Amplified Bible says, for the desires of the flesh are opposed to the Holy Spirit, and the desires of the spirit are opposed to the flesh. That is the godless human nature. For these are antagonistic to each other, continually withstanding and in conflict with each other. So, inside of you there's two natures. The one that you were born with, which is the old nature, and the one that you were born again with, which is the new nature. And they don't like each other. And the Bible has a whole lot of places where it speaks about this fight going on between the old nature and the new nature. One of the best ones, I think, is in Romans chapter 7. Now, I'm going to read what Paul says in Romans 7. I'm going to read it in the Living Bible, though. Listen to this. Listen to, to Paul the Apostle, okay? Mr. Spiritual, speak. Listen to him. I don't understand myself at all, for I really want to do what's right, but I can't. I do what I don't want to do, what I hate. I know perfectly well that what I'm doing is wrong and my bad conscience proves that I agree with these laws that I'm breaking. But I can't help myself because I'm no longer doing it. It is sin inside me that is stronger than I am that makes me do these things. Now listen to this. I know that I'm rotten through and through. So far as my old sinful nature is concerned, no matter which way I turn, I can't make myself do right. I want to, but I can't. When I want to do good, I don't. And when I try not to do wrong, I do it anyway. Now, if I am doing what I don't want to do, it is plain where the trouble is. Sin is still in me. It's evil grass. So you see, my new life tells me to do right, but the old nature that is still inside me loves to sin. Oh, what a terrible predicament that I'm in. King James says, um, Oh, wretched man that I am. Who will free me from my slavery to this deadly lower nature? Have you ever experienced that? All of us experience that. We all know what it's like to have that war inside of us. I'm going to serve God. And the flesh says, Nope, I'm not. Right? But you don't have to live there. That doesn't have to be your life's verse. You can move on. There is victory in Christ. It's promised. Now, this kind of a battle is unique to the Christian. Only a Christian has that kind of a battle. Your new nature says, I want to serve you, Lord. I want to love you. I want to pour out my heart for you. And your old nature says, I don't want to serve God. Forget it. And you all had those experiences of the battle of the flesh and the spirit. The new nature says, hey, let's go to church and get fed. 
And the other goes, forget it. There's a good TV program on. The new nature says, help your wife. She needs help. You know, vacuum for her or something. The old nature says, what? Relax. Let the old lady do it herself. The new nature says, as you wake up in the morning, oh, let's get up and pray. Spend time with God. The old nature says, let's take five more, ten more minutes. There's that battle going on. Last week, we have this beautiful, beautiful glass dish. Leaded glass from Germany. It was given, crystal. It was given to us for our wedding. My wife did something real nice. She put all these candies in it so that when I come home, I'd have a little treat. Well, it was on a little low table, and we have a little dog that doesn't know that those are human candies, not dog candies. And we're in bed, and three in the morning, two, three in the morning, we hear this crash, break. And we go outside, and there's the just shattered bowl all over the living room floor, candy spread out all over, and there's a little dog wagging her tail. Now, my first instinct, being woken up at three in the morning, is I am going to kill that animal. I'm going to take it out, and I'm going to execute it. It does not deserve to live. I mean, that's a fitting punishment for breaking a candy dish. Death. I was bummed out. And it was like the Lord, through the, through the new nature, the Spirit said, why don't you just get a vacuum, quit complaining, and help your wife clean up the mess? And that was a battle. Those two natures that are living within us, striving. The flesh wars or wrestles against the spirit, the spirit against the flesh. They're contrary to one another. That you cannot do the things that you wish. It's always around. Okay, It always comes back to bug you. I don't care how long you're a Christian. It will always come back and tap you on the shoulder and go, Psst, remember me? Pay attention to me. You know, you haven't been messing around with me lately. You know, we grew up together after all. You could look at it like this. A sheep is considered a clean animal by the Jewish nation. A sheep was a clean animal. A pig was an unclean animal. The sheep, by and large, does not like filth. It seeks something that is clean. It avoids dirt. That's why the Jews could eat it. A pig, on the other hand, thrives on muck and filth. It loves filth. It loves dirt. Your new nature and your old nature are like that. Your old nature is like that pig. It loves anything that's dirty. It loves the filth. Your new nature is like that sheep. It yearns for what is good, for what is holy. So, no wonder you've got problems. You've got this pig and this sheep together, fighting against each other. Now, the pig had no problems until the sheep came along. The pig was in control, but just anything it wanted, it was living by the natural tendencies and desires. It could do anything that was filthy and justify it. It could even dress itself up every now and then and look religious, but it was still a pig. When that sheep came on the scene and started seeking and yearning for God, they started getting in conflict, the clean and the unclean. The spirit against the flesh, the flesh against the spirit. Now, I want you to notice at the end of this verse that you and I cannot just decide to overcome it. It says so that you do not do the things that you wish. Paul tried to will to overcome it. I'm going to grit my teeth. I'm going to think positively. I'm not going to do it anymore. It didn't work. 
There was still that something inside of me that needed to be conquered. He gives the answer later on, and we'll see this in a minute. Now, in verses 19 through 21, we get a rather ugly list of the lower nature sins. Now, what's interesting about this list is that there's some ugly sins mixed with some what we would consider not so bad stuff, right? You know, losing your temper is not as bad as murder, but it's listed in the same list. Let's look at it. Now, the works of the flesh are evident. Better word, are obvious. They're unmistakable. They're plain. You see, the old nature is invisible. You can't see it, but it's there. The old nature is invisible, but its works, its manifestations are public. This is what it manufactures. This is what it breeds. Your old nature produces... It's a sin factory, basically. It cannot produce righteousness. It can't decide to be good and be acceptable before God. It produces this kind of stuff. It says, which are adultery. We know what that is. It's violating the marriage vow sexually. Then it says, fornication. This is sexual sin before a person is married. Now there's three categories in this list. Sexual sins, religious sins, and social sins. First of all, the sexual sins are verse 19. Fornication, adultery, uncleanness, and lasciviousness. These sexual sins are sin basically because people are trying to gratify themselves sexually without spiritual responsibility. That's when it becomes sin. Outside of marriage, outside of the plan God intended for it. But it says uncleanness and lasciviousness. These are words that are a lot alike, and it speaks about the whole realm the wide range of sexual sins, including entertaining an impure evil thought life, playing with it, toying with it in our minds without even going out and doing it. Unclean thoughts, lasciviousness. Then verse 20 talks about some religious sins. Idolatry is first on the list. Idolatry is simply putting anything before God. It's where you make Jesus Christ second place to something or someone. Yeah, He's there. okay, And Jesus is sort of important and God is in my life. But He's playing second fiddle to something else. That's idolatry, basically. And a lot of things can be idols. Even ministry can be idols. For you remember in Ephesus, to the church of Ephesus who were active, serving God, they were very orthodox, Jesus said, you've left your first love. You're active, you're out doing all this missionary, great work, but you have left that intimate relationship with me. That has become number one, and the person of Christ has become number two. But a lot of things can be idols. Don't just picture a native bowing down to a stone statue, lighting incense to it. Idolatry is making God second place. Second on this list is sorcery. The Greek word is pharmakia. It means uh, conjuring up evil with the use of drugs. That's where we get our word pharmacy from. The witch doctors and the magicians in those days would conjure up evil spirits and they would do it with the aid of drugs. Pharmakia. It's a billion dollar business today. And then it says jealousies. That needs no explanation. Outbursts of wrath are losing your temper. 
Then it says selfish ambitions. This is an interesting word. It's actually like a musical term. Selfish ambitions. It's where people are not in harmony together. Okay? Let me give you an example. Say the worship group is up here. Now, I know you guys wouldn't do this. Let's say the worship group's up here and they're playing their instruments and all of a sudden, Chet wants to, people to know that he's got a guitar in his hands. You know? So he just turns that baby up to ten and puts the fuzz box on. And you're worshiping and he goes in this big loud note. And all the attention is drawn to the guitar. Or Sean decides, you know, they really haven't seen how good I play bass. Watch this. Turns it up. Starts playing all these runs. Okay? Or someone decides to sing off key and everyone notices him. That is disharmony. That's selfish ambition. That's doing something so that people' attention is focused on us. We're not in harmony anymore with the body. We're just trying to be up front and strive and push for something. So jealousies, outbursts of wrath, selfish ambitions, dissensions, that is splitting the body, party spirit, and heresies, false teaching. Envy, murders, we don't have to describe murders, drunkenness, Revelries, which is a word for partying or carousing. And the like. You notice that, and the like. In other words, this isn't a whole list. This is just some of them. It's like saying, etc., etc. There's a lot that Paul didn't mention. Which I tell you beforehand, just as I told you in times past, that those who practice such things will not inherit the kingdom of God. Now I want you to notice this list because... Things like revelries, outbursts of wrath, dissension, heresies are just as much a work of the flesh as sexual immorality and murder. We tend to categorize sins, don't we? We have degrees of wrongdoing. Mortal and venial. God gives this sin 50 points, He gives this one 10 points. In God's mind, there's no distinction of category. We're the one that made those things up. Sin is sin. The work of the flesh is the work of the flesh. The flesh is rotten. This is what it produces. These are the kind of works it comes up with. It's just as much a work of the flesh as anything else. Now, as you look in this list, I'm sure many of us, if not most of us, can point to one or two or maybe three or maybe most of them as areas that we were involved with before we were saved. Whether you had sexual problems, drug problems, you had a bad temper. Also, many of us can point to these things now as continually hassling us. I mean, we look at that and say, now that's a weak spot in my character. This is a problem that I have all the time. I'm weak in this area. And we know what it's like to have the old nature rear up its ugly head and say, remember me, and come back to hassle you. As Jesus said himself, the spirit is willing, but what? The flesh is weak. That was Paul's old thing. Oh, my spirit is willing. I want to serve the Lord. But my flesh is weak. And maybe these are certain areas that are soft spots in your own character. Now, in verse 21, at the very end, he talks about the wages of those things, eventually. Those who practice such things will not inherit the kingdom of God. He's not speaking here of someone who lapses and does something wrong. He's speaking of a continual, habitual lifestyle of practicing sin. Okay? He's not talking about a lapse. Christians do not practice habitually sin. Now, they blow it. They fall into sin. 
And I'm not saying that as a license to say, oh great, I can now fall into sin. But this is speaking of a lifestyle, someone who practices something. A Christian practices as a lifestyle righteousness. Someone given over to the flesh who's not following the Lord practices these things. It's his lifestyle. And for someone who continually practices, the wages of those things are death. They do not inherit eternal life. But not for the Christian. This is pig food. Okay? This is something that the flesh feeds on. These kind of things. In contrast to that, verse 22, I like this part. He talks about the life of the Spirit. But the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, long-suffering, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. Against such there is no law. Now, if you're a believer this morning, these things are in your life, to some degree at least, whether they're there a lot or they're there a little bit, if you're a believer, these things are in your life to some degree. Now, when you think of works, you've got the works of the flesh. When you think of work, what do you think of? You think of toil, right? Sweat, strain, unless you've got a real cruisy job. I don't know. But you usually think of work as effort. It's hard, strain. But when you think of fruit, you don't think of that, do you? When you think of fruit, you think of natural byproduct of that branch, you know, being connected to the root. For a Christian, this fruit is a natural byproduct of a relationship with God. It really is. It's not something that you say, okay, I'm gonna, I'm gonna get joy today. I'm gonna strive and I'm just gonna work and I'm gonna have joy. Oh, joy. Okay. It's a natural byproduct. Remember what Jesus said? He said, I'm the vine, you are the branches. He who abides in me and I in him bears forth much fruit. That fact that you're close to Jesus Christ and have that abiding, tight relationship, the natural outgrowth is going to be this stuff, the fruit of the Spirit. Now he begins... Oh, by the way, as you look at this list, this is the real test of Christianity. This is the real test of Christian character. I don't know where we got the idea that true Christian character is tested by the gifts of the Holy Spirit. Because it's not biblical. Now, it's biblical to have the gifts of the Spirit. Don't get me wrong. It's biblical to have all of the gifts and all of the supernatural gifts that were in the early church. But those are not the test of Christian character. Jesus said, did not say that all men will know that you're my disciples by the fact that you prophesy. Or that you heal. But that you love one another. The fruit of the Spirit. We put so much emphasis on gifts and we neglect, neglect the graces of the Spirit. He begins with love. The fruit of the Spirit is love. And then it lists joy, peace, long-suffering, and the rest. I believe that it is the fruit of the Spirit singular, not fruits of the Spirit. You say, wait a minute. I see nine fruits of the Spirit. I see one fruit of the Spirit with eight manifestations. Love. It says fruit singular. It says works plural. The fruit of the Spirit is love. Well, let me convince you. Not that I need to. It's no big deal. But let me read to you something. 1 Corinthians 13. Love suffers long and is kind. Love does not envy. Love does not parade itself. It's not puffed up. It does not behave rudely. It does not seek its own. It's not provoked. It thinks no evil does not rejoice in iniquity, it rejoices in the truth. 
It bears all things. It believes all things. It hopes all things. It endures all things. Love never fails. Okay, you get the, you get the point? If you're living in the realm of love, joy, peace, long-suffering, come along there. That's the manifestation of love. First, it speaks about then joy. Fruit of the Spirit is love. It's manifested in joy. Let me describe what this means. Joy in this verse speaks about an inward contentment and joy regardless of the circumstances around you. Regardless of anything you're going through, there's deep-seated joy. And I must confess, this is something that I don't live much of. Because when it really comes down, you know what it's like when there's heavy trials, are we just blow up. But it's an inward joy regardless of any outward circumstance. It's the kind of joy Paul spoke about in Philippians chapter 4. He goes, I know how to abase, I know how to abound, I'm content regardless. If I'm wealthy or if I'm poor. If the situations are up or down, I have joy. It's regardless of the situation. Now a lot of people make a mistake when it comes to this thing of joy. They look at it and they go, okay, joy. That is something a Christian is supposed to have. So, I am going to have it. And they try to produce or manufacture this joy and it's fake. Have you ever seen that? And it's okay to be like that, but is it real? If it's not real, then it's like plastic fruit. Have you ever seen plastic fruit that looks so, looks just like real fruit? I've seen stuff that looks just like the real thing. And have you ever tried to take a bite out of that stuff? It's like, oh, this is fake, man. It's wax. Fake joy is like plastic fruit. Real joy is regardless of the situation. See, happiness and joy, there's two different things. Happiness, according to the Scripture, is something that depends on outward circumstances. It depends on the happenings. You go out and get a new car and you're happy. And someone backs into it and smashes it. You are not happy. But you can have joy. It can be regardless of the situation. Your happiness depends on the happenings. Joy does not. Fruit of the Spirit is joy. Then it says peace as a fruit of the Spirit. Beautiful words. If you, We could spend weeks just on this list. Joy is a word that describes a country who is under a benevolent dictator or a benevolent king, a good government, and they're at peace, they're of serenity. They can go out on the streets at night and not be afraid. That's what peace means here. It speaks of our relationship to God, the fact that we know that our lives are under the care of God. We have such peace inside of our such serenity because we know that our lives are being governed by the King, by Jesus Christ. A few years ago on the news, I saw the most incredible thing on television. I turned it on. I think it was floods in California like we've seen or it was a fire or something. And there was a lady who was, I think her house was burnt down. It was in the background. It was just wasted. She looked at the camera and she had such inward peace. And she said, you know what? This is not my stay in life. This is not the source of my peace or my joy. God is. It's going to burn anyway. Now I thought, I don't think I could do that. And I don't think it was fake. I mean, she had a real serenity about her. She knew that her life was in the hand of God. Joy, peace. And then it says long-suffering, which is simply a word that means you're patient with problem people. You can be patient with nice people. That's okay. But I think God allows us to have some problem people in our life. He just brings them there. And 
It's like two opposite poles of a magnet. You know, it's just like, or they just repel apart. Try to bring them together, the two magnets, and they just force apart. It's like porcupines. You know, you touch them and ah. But long-suffering is being patient, getting along in the pinch with problem people. Kindness, goodness, faithfulness, which means reliability. You're flexible. You're reliable. God can tell you to do something and you, you'll do it without complaining. Verse 23. Gentleness, which means that you are teachable, that you are flexible. Self-control. I like this word. Self-control is an athletic term. It speaks about an athlete who has master over his own passions, his own desires. He has disciplined his life. You know what an athlete's like? He gets up in the morning. He says, okay, I'm going to run for four miles right now. That's discipline. And he disciplines himself in the area of foods. I will not eat Snickers today. I will work out. No jello pudding after dinner. He's disciplined. He has control over the passions that would tell him to do something else. And then it says at the end of verse 23, against such there is no law. Now do you see, Paul lists the works of the flesh, the fruit of the Spirit, the life of the Spirit. And he shows that they're in conflict with each other. These are two opposites. Compare the list. They're two diametrically opposed things. Now this is where the problem comes in. This is where the frustration comes in. I know that I should be living like this. I know that this is God's ideal. I know that I should have peace and joy and long-suffering. I know all that. But my problem is, is I've got this ugly pig inside of me that likes verses 19 through 21. That's what it feeds on. And I say, no, I don't want to do it. And the old flesh says, yes, you want to do it. And the problem is that continual battle. I know that I want to live verse 22 and 23. It's frustrating. The pig goes, give me the muck. The sheep goes, no, go for the grass. Go for what is good. Now, depending on how long you've been a Christian, you experience this in different ways. If you've just become a Christian, then you are used to living after the flesh. That's your pattern of living. You're used to it. It's at home for you. To live righteous, although God makes you righteous, to live the Christian life, it's tough. You need the power of God's Holy Spirit. The longer you walk with the Lord, I'm not saying it's a breeze, but you learn how to walk. Now, I am glad that the Scripture does not end here. And I'm glad that the study doesn't end here. Because what a bummer it would be to say, okay, I just want to let you know that there's a conflict after the flesh and you guys are going to get beat up. You're just going to get thrashed around by the flesh and the devil and just have to learn to live with it, man. But that's not it at all. There is conquest after the conflict. Paul talks about specific ways that we can have victory over the flesh. When God gives us an ideal, okay, He always gives us the tools to be able to accomplish it. God doesn't say, this is the ideal for living, but you'll never be able to reach it. He gives us always the capacity to be able to do it. If you join the army or the navy, they would give you the tools to do the work. They wouldn't say, okay, you want to be captain of a ship. Well, we have ships on sale here for $14, 15000000 million. You have to buy your own if you want to be in our Navy. 
Oh, you want to be on the front lines? Okay, you got to buy this submachine gun for a thousand bucks. They give you the tools to do the stuff. God does the same. There's two techniques here. There's two principles here that Paul speaks about. And let me tell you, these things will work for you. It's not a pretty Bible study, not just a pretty outline. These things work. If you're in a situation and you apply these things, they'll work. First of all, daily dying or dying to yourself. Crucifixion, verse 24. And those who are Christ's or who belong to him have crucified the flesh with its passions and desires. Remember what Jesus said, if any man come after me, let him deny himself, take up his cross. That speaks of coming to the cross, crucifixion, dying to the old nature. Um, turn to Colossians chapter 3, please. Let's look at a few scriptures. Colossians chapter 3. Verse 1, if then you were raised with Christ, seek those things which are above, where Christ is sitting at the right hand of God. Let your, or set your mind on things above, not on the things of the earth. For you died, and your life is hidden with Christ in God. When Christ, who is our life, appears, then you will also appear with him in glory. Verse 5, here it is. Therefore, Put to death your members which are on the earth, fornication, uncleanness, passion, evil desire, and it gives the whole list again. Put to death or mortify them. Turn over to Romans chapter 8 now. Roaming through Romans chapter 8. Verse 12, therefore, brethren, we are debtors, not to the flesh, to live according to the flesh. For if you live according to the flesh, you're going to die. But if by the Spirit you put to death the deeds of the body, you're going to live. Now turn over to Romans 6, back up a couple pages. Verse 6 of Romans 6, knowing this, that our old man was crucified with him, that the body of sin might be done away with, that we should no longer be slaves of sin. For he who has died has been freed from sin. Now, if we died with Christ, we believe that we shall also live with him, knowing that Christ, having been raised from the dead, dies no more. Death no longer has dominion over him. For the death that he died, he died to sin once for all, but the life that he lives, he lives to God. Likewise, you also reckon yourselves to be dead indeed to sin, but alive to God in Christ Jesus our Lord. Reckon yourselves to be dead. Put to death the deeds of the flesh, it says in Colossians 3. What does it mean to put to death? It means to render ineffective. It means that you will withhold from the flesh you will not let the flesh have dominion over you. It is dead. You reckon it. You suppose it as a fact. It's dead. Okay? That's the first step, and it works. We'll show you how. So it says back in Galatians, those who are Christ have crucified the flesh with its passions and desires. This is the flesh. There's a lot of talk today about the devil made me do it. 
And I'm not putting down the concept of the fact that there's spiritual warfare we're engaged with and Satan can have a stronghold in our life. But I have seen people. There's a girl came up to me. She was in a restaurant. She was smoking voraciously. And I said, man, you're smoking a lot. She goes, she says, she's a Christian. She goes, but I have the spirit of nicotine. I said, you got what? I never heard of it. What's the spirit of nicotine? Where does it say that? Let me find that. She goes, I have the spirit of nicotine. And as soon as it's cast out and I'm delivered, I won't do this anymore. Okay? This guy came up to me one time who was real short. He put his face right in my face. He goes, I have the spirit of, I had the spirit of intimidation. I used to be intimidated because I was short. And just real close to my face. I'm not intimidated anymore. Okay? Okay. Great. I believe you. Again, I'm not minimizing spiritual warfare, but this isn't demons. This is the flesh, man. You gotta crucify it. There's one edict for the flesh. Boy, it'd be nice if I could get every malice and vice I have just cast out of me. I'd be great. I'd live, I'd walk perfect. But the painful way and the scriptural way is crucifixion. It's dead. Kill it. That old pig, you know, says, well, I want this and I want that. Take that smelly thing out and kill it. No excuses. I don't believe in capital punishment. Kill it. It's the flesh. Crucify the flesh. Paul said in Romans later on, he says, I die daily. Okay. The next step is daily yielding. First daily dying and then daily yielding. It says in Galatians chapter uh, 5, verse 16, I say then, walk in the spirit and you shall not fulfill the lust of the flesh. Verse 18, but if you are led by the Spirit, you're not under the law. Verse 25, if we live in the Spirit, let's walk in the Spirit. Now, first of all, in verse 18, it talks about being led by the Spirit. This is the word that speaks of a farmer who had herd cattle or a shepherd who had herd sheep. He would be the leader. He would be leading them around. The Holy Spirit is our leader. He leads us. We must be in willingly led and in submission. But then it says in verse 16 and 25, walk in the Spirit. Okay, this is our part. Walk, conduct yourself, put one foot in front of the other and follow His leading. You've got to walk. You see, we cannot just passively sit back and say, well, it's just all in the Lord's hands. You know, if he, He's just going to do it and I'm just going to let go and let God. It's a nice phrase, but it doesn't fit here. When it comes to conquering the flesh, you just don't sit around and go, well, I'm just going to let God do it all. I'm going to sit back and do nothing. It's all the Lord. You've got to walk according to His leading. If He's leading, you've got to follow. You've got to walk. You see, it says walk in the Spirit. It doesn't say sit in the Spirit. It does not say uh, pull up a chair and hang out in the Spirit. You've got to walk. And walking denotes progress. Not that you're conquering by the flesh. You're following the leading of the Holy Spirit who's inside of you. You're yielding willingly and you're walking after the Spirit. When it comes to conquering the flesh, we see the battle inside of us. Don't just grit your teeth and say, I'm going to overcome it. I'm going to overcome it. Because God has given us other tools whereby we can conquer the flesh. And the best way, okay, the best way to deprive that old nature of control the best way to deprive that old man who keeps coming back and haunting you is to cultivate the new nature. 
is to cultivate the new nature. You know, we worry about how am I going to face this sin and, and conquer it. I'm going to conquer it. I'm going to conquer it. You know what? You wouldn't even have time for doing that stuff if you're cultivating the new nature. Let's say someone has an alcoholic problem. You don't sit in a bar and eat peanuts and say, I'm dead to this. I'm not going to have a drink as the drinks go by. I'm just going to grip my teeth and I'm not going to do it. Or if you have a problem with impure thoughts, you don't go before a dirty magazine stand and just say, I'm dead to this, I'm dead to this. Get out of there and cultivate the new man. Do something that will make your spirit grow. The, the reading the scripture, worship, prayer. Cultivate the new man. Let's say I had a temper problem. Let's say I just could fly off the handle real easily. And now I'm coming to a place where I think I have control over it. But that old nature is still there. I think I have control of it. I'm not going to walk up to a guy and say, hey, would you smack me in the face? I want to really make sure I've got control over this thing now. Because what if I don't? Because if, if I don't, I'm going to jump on the guy and massacre him. Get out of that situation. Cultivate the new man. Yield to the leading of God. Walk in the Spirit. And you will not fulfill the lust of the flesh. Once again, look at Romans chapter 6. Beginning this time in verse 11. Likewise, you also reckon yourselves to be dead indeed to sin, but alive to God in Christ Jesus our Lord. Therefore, don't let sin reign in your mortal body, that you should not obey it in its lust. Here it is. Don't present your members as instruments of unrighteousness to sin, but present yourselves to God, being alive from the dead, and your members, that's your body, as instruments of righteousness to God. For sin shall not have dominion over you, for you are not under the law, but you're under grace. It takes cultivation. If you're going to plant a garden, you just don't take seed and toss it out there and let nature take its course, do you? It takes cultivation. It takes fertilizing. It takes watering. It takes time. On the other hand, your old nature is like a weed. Have you noticed that weeds take no fertilization? You don't have to plant a weed garden. They just come. They overrun. You've got to cut them out. But you've got to cultivate like a fine flower or a fruit tree. Weeds come up automatically. Your old nature is like weeds. Your new nature is like that fine flower. You've got to cultivate it. And the best way to deprive your old nature is to continually cultivate the new nature. But if you deprive your new nature, if you don't cultivate it and yield to God and daily walk after the Spirit, you know what will happen? Those weeds will grow up. That old nature automatically takes over because it feeds off of something that's already gone before. So it's daily dying and it's daily yielding. I've noticed this in my own life. Honestly, Times that I do not spend morning time with God, quiet time with God, some time during the day in prayer and in meditation, that day is crummy. And it's not just superstition. But when I come before God and I pray and I worship and I get my heart right and it's in the Word, I feel like I, it's like pouring fertilizer on the new man. It just thrives. It thrives. I'm in tune with God. I'm abiding in Christ now and I'm, the fruit will just automatically come out. Okay, in closing, how do I practically do this? Talk about daily dying skip and daily healing. How do I do that? Do I just look at these weak points and just chant something over and over again? How do I actively, practically die to the flesh? How do I practically, actively yield to the Spirit? 
Number one, reckon the old man to be dead, according to Romans. Now, reckon means to calculate by adding the facts together and doing something about it. I'm dead because Christ died on the cross. My old nature does not have to have authority over me. I see the sin in my life. It has a grip on me. It's trying to get me to go for it. My flesh is feeding on it. It looks good. But I don't have to obey it. God has given me the power over it by the crucifixion of Christ. Therefore, I suppose that my old nature is dead. Second of all, yield yourself to God. You're in a weak situation. You need patience. Say, Lord, I need your patience. You're weak. Say, Lord, give me your strength. You're having lustful thoughts. Lord, give me your purity. I yield myself to you, and I'm going to now cultivate the new man. I'm going to walk after you. I'm going to turn around from this, and I'm going to get involved in something that will cultivate the new man. These things together will, I guarantee you, try it in any situation, it'll work. It's there. The promises of God. Daily dying and daily yielding. Of course, on your sheet, you've got homework. The third point, taking it home, something that you can do this week. Let's have a word of prayer. Father, we thank you that you have not left us to just struggle and flounder with the flesh. You've given us true victory, true conquest by something that happened 2,000 years ago. And all we have to do is suppose it to be so. Turn, yield ourselves unto God, not yield ourselves as members of unrighteousness to sin. Lord, help us, Lord, as the new life would take over, that we could cultivate it, we could fertilize it. That these areas of the flesh, this ugly list, would become less and less a part of our thought life and a part of our action life. And the fruit of the Spirit would just naturally take over as we abide in Christ, as we die and as we yield. Father, we thank you that your word is practical. It has the answers. It's not an outdated book. Father, I pray for those who are struggling in this congregation this morning with areas of the flesh. There are certain things that have been bugging them and hassling them, and they wonder, is there ever any victory? They cry out like Paul. And Lord, just as you showed Paul the victory through your spirit, that inward power and ability and authority that you've given him, pray that they would tap into that, Lord. Father, I also pray for the people this morning that are under the bondage of Satan, who are truly blinded spiritually by him, who really don't have a relationship with you. They're bound completely in the old nature. They've never released or turned their life over to Jesus Christ and made him the Savior and Lord. Father, I pray that you just do a work. Christians, as you continue to pray, I want to invite you who don't know the Lord to know him today. I want to introduce you to my friend Jesus Christ who will give you victory over the old life. If you don't know him today and you want to, I want you to, first of all, just raise up your hand. Raise up your hand if you want to know the Lord. If you want forgiveness of your sins today. Raise your hand up high. God bless you in the back. Anyone else? Raise up your hand. Don't be afraid. Lord bless you. As God speaks to your heart, right on. Praise the Lord. Father, I thank you for these. Show them, Lord, your powers for them. Fill them with your Holy Spirit. Help them now to be grounded and discipled, to be trained, to be taught. As you've committed yourself to them, Lord, give them that ability to walk after you.